Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. I'm Melissa, and I serve at our Tri-Village campus. And I'm Kelly. I serve in women's ministry and maturing adults events here on the West Chicago campus. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Can you even believe it's November? No. No, I can't. And uh, my kids didn't get the memo either this morning. They failed to sleep in for daylight savings. Oh, I'm so sorry. When they get older, they will definitely get the memo. We'll see. So here we are, and November is going to be fun and wonderful, but I'm looking forward to something in December. I want to let you know after we took a year off of the women's Christmas event, a night before Christmas, I'm excited to say that it is back this year. If you've never attended this event, it's a special time set aside for us to bring friends, family, and neighbors to an evening where we enter into the Christmas season in a very special and meaningful way. Our guest speaker, Aubrey Sampson, is gonna be back, and I think she's perfect for this year. She has such an insight into hard and difficult things of life, but she brings her wit and her humor in a way that blends together, and it's gonna be so special for this year. In light of things that are going on in our world, we've had to make some changes. One is that the evening is gonna start off at seven o'clock with the Christmas program in the sanctuary. No dessert buffet tables mm. that hundreds of women <laughs> have been touching like or past plates, but after the program, you're gonna be able to have a special holiday individually boxed treat and enjoy the time afterwards with the people that you're, you're with or around. This year we have a special reduced ticket rate of $15 and we are limiting the number of tickets that we sell to 60% of the room's capacity. One of the things that we love about A Night Before Christmas is the ability to participate in our church's Christmas gift drive. Yes, which if you are here in person today, then you probably already saw we have our big collection boxes already set out on your way into the surface. Uh, the Christmas Store is a ministry that every year we offer parents in our community the opportunity to stretch their hard-earned dollars to purchase affordable gifts for their children. So every December, families from around each of our campuses are invited to one of our Christmas stores. And in order to be prepared for this store, we as a church collect toys and gifts from now until Sunday, December 5th. So to join this year, you place your new unwrapped gift in one of the collection boxes located around each of our campuses. And for those of you who prefer to shop online, which is me, <laughs> you can also purchase gifts from the Christmas store's online wish list, and they'll be shipped directly to the Christmas store. So just search gift drive on our website to find our Christmas store page where you can learn more about the Christmas store and buy gifts directly from the wish list. Well, I love the opportunity to be involved in what's going on in our community and the Christmas season. It's such a beautiful thing. Yes, this is also such a good way to get the whole family involved. My kids like to pick out gifts and have a tangible giving opportunity through the church. Yeah, and last week, speaking of kids, our junior high and high school students were able to get away for a fall retreat in Baraboo, Wisconsin. Yes, shout out to Eric Solomon, TBC campus pastor, who was the camp speaker, right? Yeah, it was great. The students had a blast. They had a blast on the high ropes and canoeing, spending time in God's creation. But really more importantly, they were learning that we're all designed for relationships. Relationships with God, relationships with one another. But as we know, building relationships isn't something that only happens at camp. God's doing really cool things through the lives of our students. And there's room for more to join. Junior high meets on Wednesday nights and high school meets Sunday evenings at our West Chicago campus. And we would love it if more students would come and join them as they hang out and grow together. Yes, absolutely. So that's all we have for today. 
Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have a great week. Good morning. It's great to see all of you this morning, whether you're joining us here in person or online. We're going to start with Psalm 146 this morning and just invite you to let these words roll over you, and we pray that it's in a new and fresh way. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground, and on that day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. He gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and sing together this morning.
you join me in prayer? Father, this is who you are. You alone are our all-wise king. We worship you because you are a God unlike any other. This morning, we want to invite you in your greatness and in your glory to dwell here with us, your people. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as a family and declare your name so openly and freely. We recognize this is a good gift from your hand. Thank you, Father, for men and women who have served our country so that we might enjoy this opportunity. We honor them today. As we continue to delight in you through the reading and the preaching of your word, would you, God, meet us here? Bring your comfort, your encouragement, and your challenge as we learn and seek to become more and more a people who reflects your goodness. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our friend. Amen. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word from Ruth 2? Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not know the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. So she sat down with the harvesters and he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley that she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave to her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. 
Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Emily. Let's pray. Beautiful Savior, we are grateful that you have gathered us as your children, that you have placed us in this place, in this season in life, not just to know you, but to make you known. And we're grateful, Lord, for your word. And we're grateful, Lord, that we know that your word is powerful and never comes back empty. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that by the power of the Spirit, by the ministry of the Spirit, by the presence and person of the Spirit, you use this word, Lord, to transform our lives to change our minds, to influence our affections, and to affect our will. Because we all want to do this for your glory, for our good, and for the well-being of others. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. Good morning, familia. <clears throat> oh, my goodness, what was that? <clears throat> um, I'm changing voices. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. Um, I'm so glad that you're here, whether you are here in person or you're worshiping with us online. <clears throat> we want to welcome you all to Witten Bible Church. If you are visiting for the first time, I want you to know that we are here to serve you and love you to the best of our abilities. And we want to thank you for being here with us. Today, we continue in this series based on the book of Ruth, uh, a, ser a series that we have called Ruth, the Story of a Loving Life. And as we dig into this story, I think that it's important to keep in mind that there are a lot of similarities between what happened in, uh, in Ruth's time and our time. Ruth, when it comes to her context, is these times in which the Israelites uh, were going through a lot of changes and a lot of struggles. It was during the time of the book of Judges that the story of Ruth appears. And the best way to describe the spirit of that age during the time of Judges, is to see Judges 25, 25, uh, 21, 25, in which he says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what they thought it was best for them. Everyone did as they pleased. This was a time in which opinions matter more than truth, Feelings and desires came before God and his word. The individual was more important than the community, and many leaders of the time were like the blind leading the blind. I would say, I think that all of us agree, would agree, that those times are very similar to our times. 
Actually, most of us would agree, I think, that that is the history of the world. That we're not going through anything new. That has always been the history of the world. And yet, God continues to work in the midst of that broken world through people like Ruth. So the question that I'm asking the text that I asked last week and I'm asking again is this. How does one live in the midst of that spiritual chaos? How does one live in the the midst of brokenness? How does one remain faithful in the midst of these cultural conflict, uh, conflicting ideas? How does one live from, um, how do we keep ourselves from being driven into the spirit of the age? And in this chapter, we're going to see three things that really matter in order for us to do that. Providence matters, and we're going to learn that from Ruth. Character matters, and we're going to learn that from Boaz. And and grace matters, and we're going to learn that from the two main characters in this chapter. Providence, character, and grace. Can you do me a favor? Ask the person next to you if you want to, and if you like that person. Do you believe in the providence of God? All right, next question. Do you think that character matters? Question number three. Do you truly understand the grace of God? We good? All right, let's go with point number one. Let's talk about providence. Providence matter. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of context here, just in case you were, here now, not, uh, you were not here last, last week and you're not familiar with the story of the book of Ruth. <clears throat> last week, as we were looking into uh, Ruth chapter 1, you remember that the context of the story is Ruth and her relatives are going through this rough season because in Bethlehem, uh, there was a famine going on, meaning there was no food. And the father of the family, Elimelech, decided to move the family to Moab. Um, which was enemy's territory. And after being there for a while, Elimelech dies, and, the, and his two sons then married two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the text tells us, and the story tells us, that both of those sons died. So now we have the mother of the family, Naomi, Elimelech's wife, older in age now, a widow, with two daughters-in-law, with no males in the family, living in a land that is not hers, that is not hers, and is completely unprotected and, and no means to survive. Naomi then, in the midst of all of that, decides to go back to Bethlehem, and Orpah stays behind, and Ruth goes with her. So when we look into chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, that is a continuation of that story. And at the beginning of the chapter, we see that Ruth is asking Naomi to let her go to the fields to pick up leftover grain. Now, why would Ruth ask for that, and why would Naomi let her go? Well, see, both Ruth and Naomi knew that in the Israelite law code, uh, the Israelite law code demanded that the community of faith would have certain level of responsibility toward the poor in their midst. They knew that. See, for the Israelites, uh, they understood that if you were in, in a community that had a lot of resources, 
you had a responsibility toward the disadvantage in your midst. So, for example, that's Leviticus chapter 19, in which God tells his people that when they go to the field and they're picking up grain and something falls to the ground, he tells them not to pick up those grains so the poor, the widow, the orphan, or the foreigner would have something to eat. In the same chapter, Leviticus chapter 19, and then it's repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 24, God calls his people to not collect everything from the field and to leave some for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the orphan and the foreigners. So this is not communism and this is not socialism. This is God calling his people to be generous and care for the vulnerable, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. So Naomi is a widow, so she qualifies. Ruth is a foreigner, so she qualifies. And Ruth and Naomi are both completely poor, so they both qualify. With that in mind then, let's read verse 3. Look at what it says. So she went out, entered a field. Can you say a field? And began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out... She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So randomly, and please, I'm going to be super sarcastic, so please forgive me. So randomly, Ruth goes out and enters a field. Now pay attention to the phrase, as it turned out. A good translation in modern language would be, it just happened to be. And it just happened to be that that field belonged to Boaz. And it happened to be that that, that that man was a relative of Naomi's dead, uh, dead husband. And it happened to be, as we're going to see later on, that that Boaz, that was uh, a relative of her husband, was a guardian redeemer. And I will explain what that is later on. But just for now, just keep in mind that a guardian redeemer had a responsibility for not only his immediate family, but the entire family, extended family. And it happened to be that when she's doing all of this, look at what happens in verse 4. Just then, can you say just then? <laughs> Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. And it happened to be that Ruth just gets to this place and that man was part of the family. And it happened to be that just at that time, Boaz showed up. Randomly. Now, if you are a believer and you have read the Bible before, I think that you would agree with me that that phrase, it just happened to be, does not exist in the Scripture. Or at least not the way we would understand it. I think that if you know anything about the biblical story, the redemption story, you know that everything is being orchestrated by God. Divine orchestration. Now, the theological term that is used for this is that God is working providentially to put all things in place, that he's guiding uh, his people and this creation, that he's using everything for his people in this creation, and that he will always work providentially to accomplish his plans. So God is working pro providentially, uh, providentially when he takes uh, Naomi back to Bethlehem. 
God is working providentially when Ruth stays with her. God is working providentially when she happened to go to that field. God is working providentially when that field belonged to a relative. God is working providentially when Boaz arrived there just on time. God is working providentially um, when they realize that that's Naomi's relative. Did you know that that's not unique to Ruth or Naomi or anybody else in the Bible? Did you know that is true for all of us? Did you know that that is true for the entire creation? God is always working providentially with you and for you. God is always working providentially with this creation and for this creation. Let me just give you a good definition of the word, of the phrase, what the providence of God is. This is Paul Helm. The providence of God is the working of God's sovereignty to continually uphold, guide, and care for this creation. Notice that this uh, theologian is using these two terms, the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, and even though they're different, they cannot be separated. The sovereignty of God is God's right, to power, uh, right and power to do what he pleases, and his providence is his exercise of that right and to accomplish his purposes. Two different concepts, two different concepts, but that cannot be separated. Now look at how this theologian puts it in such a wonderful and simple ways. She says, nothing happens to us that God has not scheduled into a calendar. We meet no one with whom God has not arranged an appointment for us. That's a beautiful way to put it. Listen, I know that there are times in which what we go through does not make any sense. I know that it feels like if God is not present, like if God is absent, like if God does not care, and even sometimes it feels like if God is powerless. And I wish that that feeling would go away. And I wish that that feeling would be different. But the reality is that you and I, we're going to go through so many different things and through so many different seasons in which we're going to feel that and there is no way to avoid that. Because you're a broken person living in a broken world. I'm a broken person living in a broken world. And it is during those times that there, at least for me, there are a few doctrines that are extremely important. So, for example, the doctrine of the goodness of God is super important to me because it tells me that whatever the Lord brings or allows into my life always comes from the heart of a God that is always good, even if I don't feel it. See, the doctrine of the compassion of God is really important to me when I go through difficult times because it reminds me that I have a God that is not indifferent to my pain. He cares for me and he feels with me and for me, even if I can't feel it. The doctrine of the holiness of God is extremely important to me because even when I go through different, uh, uh, different difficult seasons, I must remember that everything God brings or allows into my life comes from a holy God. 
not a sinful God. All those doctrines really helped me, but the one that has helped me the most is actually this concept of the sovereignty and the providence of God. That because God is in control of all things, and he will accomplish his purposes, he will use providentially everything he brings and allows into my life for his glory and my good. He would use anything and everything he brings and allows into your life for his glory and your good, even if you cannot feel it. Listen, as a preacher, and as an immigrant preacher, I have a tendency to make up words. I just invent them. <laughs> and I could see it from here. You're like, what? <laughs> you actually look at the person next to you and you go, <laughs> Now, listen, I don't do that on purpose. It's just an immigrant thing. But today, I'm going to invent a word on purpose. Actually, I looked it up, and apparently somebody else used it, but not the way I'm using it. So this is the word I'm creating. Gotsidence. <laughs> this is a combination between coincidence and the sovereignty of God. Because I do not believe that the Bible teaches that there are coincidences in the, in the kingdom of God because he's always in control, he's always sovereign, always working providentially. This is the best description of what it means to be living in light of God's sovereignty and providence, Godsidence. So I'm going to use an illustration that I used um, almost two years ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and since every two years something happens, I'm going to use the illustration again. And two years from now, you're going to use that, you're going to hear that illustration again. So this is the question for you. Why is it that we are here today listening to a sermon about the providence of God? Well, let me tell you my answer. Because of Fidel Castro. And I'm not a Cuban. Let me tell you why. Because it happened to be that in the 1960s, El Comandante Fidel Castro got control of Cuba, and he did a, a ton of atrocities to that, to that place. And because of that, many Cuban citizens had to come to the United States. That's the reality. And it happened to be that one of those guys that came to the United States was a young man with his family that later on, that young man will become a pastor. And it happened to be that that pastor later on, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an evangelistic event that had about 5,000 people, 5,000 people met a lady with her three sons, uh, three kids. And it happened to be that that lady would join that past Cuban pastor's church later on. And it happened to be that the older son of that lady, lady, a year later, will become a Christian. And it happened to be that that young, good-looking, passionate, charismatic, talented, and gifted young man 
I'm not talking about me. <laughs> Five years later, we'll move into another church. And it happened to be that the pastor of that new church was also a Cuban that had left Cuba because of Fidel Castro. And it happened to be that that pastor hired this young man to work in a Latino church that's part, that was part of an English-speaking church. And it happened to be that about six years later, more or less, that young pastor becomes the lead pastor of that Latino church. And it happened to be that, that, um, that the pastor of the English-speaking side really, really, really liked this young, good-looking, passionate, charismatic, talented, and gifted, and by then, not-so-young men. And it just happened to be that that pastor retires. And 60 years later, because Castro de Comandante, that not-so-young man becomes a senior pastor. And it happened to be that is because of Fidel Castro that this young pastor is preaching a sermon today about the providence of God. So we always remember that God is in control and God always works providentially. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of exile, God is always sovereign. God always works providentially, and God always accomplishes his plans. And to that, we have to say, thank you, Fidel Castro. <laughs> and amen. That's your story. Actually, I invite you that you do the same thing with your life. Every time I'm questioning God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's power and God's love, I do this journey in my head. And I remember and see that God was continually upholding, guiding, and caring for me at all times. And that he's continually upholding, guiding, and caring for his church at all times. If there's one thing that we can learn from the book of Ruth, is that providence matters. It really does. Not only we learn that from Ruth, but we can learn from Boaz that character matters. Now, Ruth gets to Boaz's field. And the text says that there's something special about these men. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, that now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, the reason why we highlight, highlight the word a man of standing is because that phrase talks about his character. Some other translations uses uh, phrases like a man of substance, or a man of noble character, or a man respected and admired by the community. So not only God was working providentially, taking Ruth and Naomi to this place, but God takes him to a place in which there is a man that is trustworthy because he's a man of noble character. 
Not just any man, but a man of noble character. Now, I have to remind you that both Naomi and Ruth are in a very vulnerable position. I mentioned before that back in those days, if you were a widow, if you were poor, if you had all these things, but if you were a female widow and you have no husband and no, obviously no husband, no sense, you are extremely vulnerable. But Boaz, because he's a man of character, I want to argue that he was an evidence of God's grace. He was an evidence of God's grace both to Naomi and to Ruth. Why do I say that? Well, because in verse 2 it says, right before Ruth uh, Ruth, uh, leaves to find this field, she says, let me go to a field and pick up the leftovers grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. The word favorite there is the word grace. It's actually a synonym of the word grace. So not just Boaz, because he's a relative, is an evidence of God's grace, but it's an evidence of God's grace because of his character. Boaz is indeed a man of substance and noble character. Now, how do we know? Well, because the Bible tells you that that is true. But it also tells you that that is true because of what he does. Look at what this man of character does. Number one, he protects. Verse five. Oh. It says, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, the overseer of his uh, harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Now, I know that for modern cultural sensitive ears, you read that and you say, no woman belongs to anybody. Relax. <laughs> you have to remember the context. This is a patriarchal society. Men have the responsibility to protect, to provide, and to care for the females in the family. This does not mean, not even in the Old Testament, that women were weak or that they couldn't work or they couldn't do anything outside home. If you don't believe that that is true, read Proverbs 31. And even men will feel ashamed of how weak we are. Actually, the best example that this is not the case is Ruth herself. A great example of a very strong, super capable capable woman that can make things happen. And yet, this does not take away from the responsibility of the male to protect, provide, and care for females. It's just about roles. Now, I know that in the Bible and in church history, there have been a ton of men, a ton of men that have misused what the Lord has given. But that doesn't say that there's a problem with the original design. It says that there's a problem with us. Now, Boaz understands that. So when he says, who does this young woman belong to? The question that he's asking is, who's taking care of this young lady? Who's protecting this young lady? Now, this is Paul Miller explaining this situation. She says, Ruth is a young woman without a male protector. Ruth is is sexually vulnerable. Without money, she's financially destitute. Without a friend, she's lonely. And without her country, she's open to prejudice. She has no protector, husband, tribe, family, or food. 
That's what Boaz sees. And his first reaction as a man of character is to protect her. Verse 9. I've told the man not to lay hand on you. You know what that means? Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. He knows that as a man, he has the responsibility to protect this lady. He knows that as a man, he's got a responsibility to use his authority and position to protect this lady. Actually, I think that that principle is consistent with the New Testament teaching and leadership. Authority and power is given to people not to satisfy their own selfish desires, but to protect and serve others. In specific, the vulnerable. Protection is an evidence of character. Anybody with a position of authority has the responsibility to protect the vulnerable. That's character. Not only that, that's, that's what Boaz does, protects, but he also provides. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and go, don't go away from here. And stay here with the women who work for me. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things here. This is an older man treating this young woman as a daughter. A man of character knows how to treat younger women as daughters. But the second thing that you can see here is that he wants to provide for her. Because a man of character is also a man of generosity. A person of character is also a person of generosity. This is the thing that he has. He knows that he has a lot, and he knows that he ought to share that with the people in need. Not only Boaz protects and is generous, but this is the most beautiful thing he gives Dignity, he dignifies. Verse 9, he says, I have told the man not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the man had filled. Now, you have no idea how countercultural and radical this was. No foreign woman would ever mix with Israelite men like that. And Boaz gives her permission. And he treats her like a human being. And not only he does that, but look at what happened in verse 14. At mealtime, meal Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the, wine, in the wine vinegar. He invites her to his table. In that culture and in that time, when you invited someone to eat with you, that means that that person was important to you. And that that person had a place in your heart and in your life. It's almost a spiritual thing to invite someone to eat with you. And here we have a man of character, of noble character, inviting a foreigner. That in the, right, in the, in the ranking of society, she was at the very end of that scale. See, the Israelites had 16 different categories in their society. 16. Number 14 
was the resident aliens. Number 15 was male foreigners. And number 16 was female foreigners. And here we have a man that knows how to treat a young woman like a daughter. And provides and protects, but also gives dignity by providing to allowing her to drink the water with the man and to invite her to eat with him. In the midst of a broken world, in the midst of a spiritual chaos, the number one evidence of God's grace for a broken world is always his people. People that protects, people that gives generously, and people that give the dignity that people deserve because they have been created in the image of God. Character matters. Character matters. There are so many reasons why in this part of the world, Christianity stopped being popular. So many different reasons. Part of those reasons is because our culture is becoming more and more secular, right? But I want to argue that another major reason, if not the primary reason, why Christianity is losing ground in this part of the world is because Christians are not living in light of the understanding that character matters. So I'm not blaming the church, but I'm kind of. Maybe the reason why Christianity has lost popularity in this part of the world is because the church of Jesus Christ is not really a good testimony. This is what Blaise Pascal said. People almost invariably arrived at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. And then he talks to Christians and says, make religion attractive. Make men, women wish it were true. And then he show that it is. That's boss. And that's your call. And that's my call. Character really matters. The providence of God matters. Character matters. And number three... Grace matters. Now, I don't know if you noticed when we read the whole text, but the word favor appears a number of times. And I already told you that the word favor is a synonym of the word grace. So, for example, in verse 2, Ruth wanted to find a man that would extend favor to her. In verse 10, when she finds Boaz, she says, Can you extend favor to me? And in verse 13, when Ruth tells uh, Naomi about Boaz, she actually, she tells Boaz again, you know, can you extend, continue to fav, uh, extend favor to me? Now, this is interesting. When Ruth leaves that field, and she's got all this food now to go with her, she goes home and she tells Naomi all of these things that happened to her. But look at what happened in verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing you kindness which is a synonym of the word favor, which is a synonym of the word grace to the living and the dead. He extended grace both to us and to our, and to our family that passed away. She added, that man is our close relative. He is our guardian redeemer. 
And Naomi here recognizes two things. Number one, that everything that Boaz has done, Boaz has done for the family is because he's a man of grace. And number two, Naomi recognizes that everything that God has worked providentially for Ruth and to get to Ruth in, uh, to, to get Ruth to Boasfield is because providentially God had given her a guardian redeemer. So on one end, you got the concept of grace. Everything that Boaz did was because of grace. And on the second, she recognizes that it was the Lord taking Ruth to this guardian redeemer. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week, but I could, give you, I could give you two things about what it means to be a guardian redeemer. The guardian redeemer in a family had tons of responsibilities, a bunch of different responsibilities, but let me give you two today. The guardian redeemer had the responsibility that if a family member, because of poverty, sold themselves into a slavery, he had the responsibility to use his means, his money, his wealth, to buy the freedom back, to pay the debt, and to buy the freedom back. That's what a redeemer, guardian redeemer is supposed to do. And also the guardian redeemer had the responsibility to exercise justice on behalf of the family and to be the representative. Why is that so significant for us? Because that's exactly what we have. See, part of the reason why we know that the story of Ruth is, is part of the story of redemption is because Boaz is almost an image of who Jesus was going to be. Boaz was preparing the way for Jesus to arrive. Boaz is an example of who Jesus was going to be, another guardian redeemer. A guardian redeemer that was upholding, guiding, and caring for you, and that's why he brought you to him. A guardian redeemer. They live the life that no one has lived, that died the dead that we all deserve, because when he does that, he extends favor, grace, and kindness. A guardian redeemer that died and resurrected. Do you know why? To do what Boaz did, to protect you. To protect you from the condemnation of sin, from the power of sin. And that's why he goes to the cross. Not only to protect you, but to provide for you. Provide what? The freedom of being forgiven before God. It was the same guardian redeemer that paid the debt that we owed. It was the same guardian redeemer that gave us freedom. It is the same guardian redeemer that became a representative before the Father. It is the same guardian redeemer that as our representative takes what we deserve, and he gives us what he deserves. And he's the same guardian redeemer that gives you dignity. See, one of the things that we saw in this story is that Boaz invites Ruth to his table. So here you have this woman that is poor, does that say have a woman, uh, a husband, that she has been neglected, that she has been abandoned, that she's lonely, and he brings her in and sits with her at his table. And this is one of the reasons why we have to celebrate communion. 
Because you and I are just like Ruth. We are spiritually poor. We are all foreigners. We are all vulnerable. We are all lonely. We are all weak. We are all tired. We are all orphans. We are all abandoned. We are all abused. We are all kind of widows. And the Lord, the Redeemer, invites us into his table to have fellowship with him. This is the thing. I don't know how you came in today. And I don't know what your struggle is, but I know that one of those things describe you. And many of those things describe me. And I, what I want you to know is that just as Boaz invited Ruth into his table, our better guardian redeemer, Jesus Christ, invites us into his table to have fellowship with him, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, to partake with him. So when we participate in this, we are celebrating, we are remembering, and we are convincing ourselves that we already have the guardian redeemer that we all so much wanted. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have already believed that he's the way, the truth, and the life, if you already believe that he is the only way into the Father and the only way in which you can be forgiven, this is for you. So I'm going to ask you to please take your cup and remove the first cover of your cup. And the Bible invites us to, before participating in this, to examine ourselves. To see if we are living in light of the character that is expected of us. To see if we live in gratitude because God has worked providentially in our lives. So I'm going to give you a few seconds. This is between you and the Lord. If there's anything that you need to bring to him, please do it. Take the time also to give him thanks for everything that he has done for you and through you. This is what the Bible says. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. Now let's remove the second cover of the cup. And the Bible tells us that in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat and drink, uh, you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may participate. Lord, we are grateful that the only reason why we're sitting with you at your table 
is because you are sovereign and you work providentially for us. We are grateful, Lord, that you brought us to this point. We are grateful, Lord, because in your favor, your grace, your kindness and mercy, Lord, you brought us to get to know you. And Lord, I now we pray that just as these elements enter into our system, may that reality enter into our hearts. That the grace of God enter into our souls to the point that because of that, we live as people of noble character. Not just because this is what is going to give you glory. Not just because this is the best for us. But because this is the best for an unbelieving world. For them to see that, that they can also be brought in into your table. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says? It's a privilege to have Mr. Tim Batts with us today, a treasure from our own congregation. He'll be doing a word picture for us to help us worship as a response to communion. So thank you to Tim. There he is. Thank you to Tim for uh, sharing your gifts and your heart with us today.
Do you know why is it that the Lord brought you to him? Do you know why is it that God wanted to adopt you? Do you know why Jesus went to the cross to redeem you? Because he was the best thing for you and because he really wanted to. You know how bad God wanted you? Really bad. So remember as you leave this service today, not only that you were deeply loved when Jesus went to the cross, but you are deeply loved all the time because Jesus went to the cross. So before we finish service, a couple of things. Number one, um, you know that this coming week we're celebrating Veterans Day. So I want to thank you and honor those of you that serve in the military. How about if we give a round of... There you go. Number two, I want to remind you that we, are, that we are called as people of character to give, to be generous. So please continue to serve the church through generosity. You could always give your offering here. You could send it to the office or you could go online and give your offering. Number three, I want to remind you that we love to pray for you. So every Tuesday, we spend a good time of our day just praying for you and your needs. Please let us know. Let's receive uh, the blessing that Jesus Christ uh, guaranteed for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, Amen. we love you. Thanks for coming. Church, you are sent.